Hello, everyone, and welcome to Objective Health. I'm your faceless host, <laughs> Tiffany, and joining me in the studio today, we have Doug and Erica. Hello. Hi. Hello. So today we have a very calming topic, I suppose. But knowing us, we probably won't keep it calm. But <laughs> today our topic is mindfulness. And that term gets bandied about often, but I don't really think that there's a clear-cut definition. So in order to clarify matters, we're going to start off with a good definition of mindfulness. Go ahead, play the clip. Hey there, my friends. Let's talk about how to be mindful, how we can become more mindful about being mindful. I'd like to share with you some insights that I think work for me. And before we splash into those, let me first give you what mindfulness means to me. To me, the term mindfulness means I am full of my mind. My mind is inside of me. It's integrated into my body. Couldn't be clearer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's about as clear as a lot of the definitions of, oh, well, people mention mind, mindfulness, I almost called it mindlessness. People mention mindfulness, they rarely give a definition. A clear-cut definition doesn't really exist. Like some people, like when I think of mindfulness, a lot of times I think of meditation, but I guess it's not really meditation. So there are some definitions. I'll just throw them out there. Uh, mindfulness refers to the process of becoming aware of the thoughts, feelings, and sensations in our body. I guess that kind of makes sense i suppose there was another one that said mindfulness is the intentional accepting and non-judgmental focus of one's attention on the emotions thoughts and sensations occurring in the present moment hmm. well it's also been defined as acceptance attentiveness awareness Body focus, curiosity, a non-judgmental attitude, focus on the present, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of, yeah, it sounds like a little spacey, little new agey, little woo-woo-y. You can't really hold on to it. And yeah. I guess it kind of encapsulates the qualities of the mind if you want to get esoteric on it. But I guess... Uh, Maybe we could just refer to it as just paying attention to what is going on around you and paying attention to what you're doing and what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Yeah. I think that's a good okay. way. I think maybe maybe a good way to define it, um, <clears throat> and you know, I don't know if this will be any more clear or not, but what would like the opposite of mindfulness be? And I guess to me it means like, you know, kind of the way that we usually are, where our mind mm -hmm. is kind of on something. We're not thinking about ourselves in the present moment. We're not um, uh, aware of what we're thinking of necessarily. We're just thinking. Um, and we're not, uh, you know, we might have a, a, a moderate amount of focus on ourselves or on 
the environment, but I think generally we're so caught up in what our, you know, thoughts of the moment are that we aren't really thinking, we don't have a clearer picture of ourselves doing whatever it is that we are doing. Mm -hmm. That wasn't It's almost like the opposite. No, that was clear. It's almost like the opposite is distracted or disassociated Mm. or... um, Being a space cadet. Yeah. And I think that okay. we're always kind of space cadets, I think. <laughs> like, I think, I think that most people go through the day and are, aren't in a state of mindfulness very often at all, if at all. I think, I think most people probably go through their day and they, they never are kind of in a, a, a mindfulness kind of mindset. They're just sort of um, jumping from one thing to the next. You know, mm-hmm. you wake up, it's like, oh, I got to get dressed, got to go to work, blah, blah, blah. Thinking about the meeting that's going to happen that day, thinking about this, thinking about, you know, oh, I got to take the kids to the doctor's appointment, blah, blah, blah. Like all these kinds of things are going on. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be hectic kind of stuff. It might just be like, oh, that movie I watched last night was really good. And, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It'll be really nice to see my friend so-and-so again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like those those thoughts are kind of always there. And it's always just this kind of like constant grinding out of information and i don't know that mindfulness necessarily means that you won't be thinking about those things but it's just kind of the awareness that you are thinking about those things and the awareness that no what i'm doing right now is you know i'm sitting at my computer i'm not at that meeting where somebody said something rather insulting to me um i'm not you know even though you might be actually dwelling on that you're more Mm -hmm. aware of the fact that you're not there right now because if you are always thinking about what you're saying, what you're doing, uh, your place in the environment around you, and you didn't like have time that you thought about or planned your day or reflected on what you did or at work or what you just did. I mean, it's not like you can be mindful every single second of the day. But maybe in a way you can, because if you're reflecting on what you're reflecting about, that is a form of being mindful, too. I guess maybe we should not go down this rabbit hole. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that... We can say that some people are more mindful than other people. Certainly, yeah. In the way they live their lives. Like maybe Buddhist monks or some people who have been meditating their entire lives and um, eight hours a day... 12 hours a day, maybe they have reached some sort of state where they can be kind of mindful every second of the Mm -hmm. day. But I think that it's kind of, it's overcoming kind of the way that the brain works. Like it seems like we, we almost can't be mindful all the time. Like unless Mm -hmm. maybe long training actually does do that. But it's like, you know, once, once you actually try and practice this sort of thing, it, you realize how, how difficult it is, how mm-hmm. hard it actually is to be aware of the thoughts that you're having in conjunction with what you are doing at that particular moment, the emotions you're feeling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's like a level of meta-awareness that I think is, is actually quite rare. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that they talk about the mind, uh, especially in like traditions like Buddhism or even uh, the Vedas about being a monkey mind Mm. and how it's this 
constant chattering going on. And, you know, obviously some people have it worse than others. I do think there's environmental stimulations that cause it to be more monkey-ish, you know, whether it's caffeine or loud noise or distractions, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, Doug, about Buddhist monks. I mean, they can maybe meditate and be mindful eight hours a day, but they're also in a serene environment. They're, they don't have, you know, kids yelling at them and mm-hmm. hon- horns honking and cell phones ringing and all these distractions. And, and you know, in doing preparation for this show, you do read about a lot of the Buddhist precepts behind it. And it all sounds wonderful, but we don't live in a time like that. You know, mm-hmm. we live in a time where everything is constantly distracting you and drawing your attention. And so it's really an uphill battle, as you said, to even pay attention when somebody's making a comment to you and like really listen to what somebody's saying instead of running that monkey mind going, Oh, what am I, what's my response going to be? Or mm. how am I going to navigate the situation? Mm. Well, it seems to be that there is kind of a a need for people to be more mindful. Um, mindfulness is a huge industry. There's some uh, sources that say it's worth about $4.2 trillion, yeah. whether that's books or lectures or uh, podcasts and things like that that address mindfulness or medit- meditation. Um, there is about 100,000 Amazon books that have mindfulness or some variant of mindfulness in the title. Mm-hmm. So it seems like either there is a demand for it or it's being pushed. I think it's kind of both. Um, so we can kind of get into like how mindfulness has been corporatized or made generic or the true meaning of what being mindfulness means has actually been kind of whitewashed and because there are companies like uh, Google or these big Wall Street firms uh, that are incorporating mindfulness into their corporate trainings. Yeah. So I guess we can get into that and talk about how they call it now, Mick Mindfulness. Yeah. It's like the same cookie cutter design. It, there's no real... Um, sustenance in it. It's just something you go and you do and you feel good for a little bit. And then you can say that, you know, I meditated or I was mindful today and you can be happy about that, but really there's no real benefit to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it was a, a Buddhist precept or a Buddhist teaching. Um, That's where it kind of came from. And it's become, you know, as it's come into North America, it's coming kind of from this corporate side of things. And, you know, it it fit within kind of the overall religious teaching of Buddhism, but it's been stripped of all its kind of ethical and religious tenets. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've kind of morphed it into this secular, market-friendly practice that, you know, doesn't really have the, the, the same kind of morality kind of that was attached to the teaching originally. So it's kind of like this this secular, um, non-religious, yeah, like you said, whitewashed kind of version of mindfulness mm-hmm. that's getting sold to people. And, you know, all these corporations are kind of um, introducing these these mindfulness lectures or, or lessons or whatever the case may be. 
Um, and but because it doesn't have any of that kind of morality behind it, like it just it seems kind of strange to me that you know you would have this this uh, these these corporations that are holding these seminars on mindfulness, and then it's like they go back to work and they're still you know ruthless businessmen like you know still doing ethically questionable things um or google for instance who are you know hoovering up your data like crazy and um you know trying to sway elections and uh all the privacy concerns and things like that it's like well how mindful is that really it's like why are they actually teaching this mindfulness kind of stuff when clearly as a corporation in any sense they're not really acting very mindful well, the thing about all of these um, mindfulness courses that are sponsored by these businesses, a lot of them have like this focus in it of like how to increase your productivity yeah. or become a better worker. Those are like things that are incorporated into these courses. So it has a big business focus, but I think that really the intention is to make you be able to better cope with the real stresses that are happening in your business or your corporation. And rather than actually change, you know, the, the landscape of the culture in which you work, like change policies, make it a better workplace for people, you know, cut down on hours, reduce workload you know, do things that would uh, actually boost employee morale, you're actually taught that, you know, it's all in your head. You just need to learn how to be a little, you know, less sensitive, learn how to cope with the stress, you know, learn how to meet deadlines, become more organized, you know, get yourself together. It's not us, it's you. <laughs> you need to learn how to to focus a little better and, you know, just brush off the things that annoy you you know, just deal with things better and you'll be a better worker. That's the sense that I get. Well, there was well and even- it seems like these corporations are doing that because it's a model where they can get away with murder, essentially. I mean, maybe not literally, but essentially, and put it on the employee that it's something that they're lacking or mm-hmm. that they don't have control over. And when you see companies like Google and you know, Microsoft and Goldman Sachs spending God knows how much money to give these retreats or workshops. It's, it's almost like they're just being sold the whole love and light shtick, you know, Mm -hmm. like don't focus on all the bad things, just focus on the good. And uh, that can really devolve pretty quickly. Well, speaking of getting away with murder, the U S military they have mindfulness seminars too. So, I mean, you're in a position where you are literally, you know, taking other people's lives and you need to learn how to deal with that because if you suffer because of that, I mean, that's on you. I mean, that's, this is your job. You need to learn how to do this and you need to learn how to cope with killing people. Yeah. How much sense does that make? <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy. The there there was an article actually um, that was in the New Statesman, um, how mindfulness privatized a social problem, and the author in there is talking about how there was a um, there was a it was a corporation that was buying out um, um, like a, a housing complex, um, 
or they were selling it, sorry, they were selling it and they were going to be selling it, you know, they were telling people not to worry and that they were going to still have affordable housing and everything like that, but they were actually selling it to foreign investors and had no idea whether there was still going to be um, affordable housing for these people or not. So basically a lot of people were going to be losing their apartments. And Mm -hmm. what they did because people were really stressed out and they were complaining and, um, you know, threatening lawsuits or whatever the case may be, they brought in people to do mindfulness training with them. And... Mm -hmm. Basically, it's taking the onus of, like, you know, they're, they're the cause of that stress, right? And, and they're basically mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, you're not able to deal with your stress, so we're going to teach you this mindfulness practice so that you can better deal with your stress. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're the cause of the stress. So you're the one who's actually putting us in this situation that is causing a great deal of life stress. And mindfulness meditation is not a solution to that problem. You know, mm-hmm. mindfulness, yeah, sure, it might be beneficial, like to some of them. Um, but it certainly isn't a solution to the problem. So it's basically almost being used like a drug. Like, um, mm-hmm. oh, you know, oh, you're reacting badly to what we're doing to you? Well, here's this drug to, uh, to calm you down so that you can better deal with your emotions. It's like, no, I don't need to better deal with my emotions necessarily, but what I need to do is solve this problem because I'm going to be without a house. So it seems right. like in, in a many situations that what they're actually doing is, is using it as this kind of pacifying um, effect for social issues that aren't mm-hmm. going to be solved by meditating. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe that's why you see it growing so exponentially, like you said, Tiff, or, you know, if you Google mindfulness, you get what, 24 million hits. Mm. And so this model that you're speaking of Doug seems to work for these companies because if it if it didn't it would have lost favor long ago and you know you wouldn't see the continued support of it and the sponsoring of it and well what was that Wall Street company where there was an employee that worked for 72 hours Merrill Lynch yeah, he had a seizure and he died, and they had mindfulness <laughs> seminars at their company. They weren't mindful enough to uh, take care of their employees and not, you know, have this culture where it's seen as a good thing if you worked like 23 hours out of a day. Mm-hmm. I think after that, they said they, the interns couldn't work any more than 17 hours in a day which is still ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're so nice. That's so mindful of them. (laughs) So it's these corporations who don't really give a damn about you and they've developed a lot of this brainlessness, mindfulness meditation. And I think it's just a way for, like I said before, a way to get the employee or the individual to, learn how to navigate in a sick system where really all they want is to fix the sick system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is something that they refer to as the trickle down theory of mindfulness. And that's Mm -hmm. the idea that kind of, if we train mindful leaders or bring in, you know, mindfulness programs, teach a little bit of individualistic mindfulness to employees or leaders that gradually we can expect some sort of like, like transformation or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's obvious that that isn't really happening when you just look at a lot of these companies that are offering it and what they actually do. 
it's basically some of the most evil companies around that we can think of, really. Like, you know, as far as Silicon Valley goes, like Google, I mean, I already listed off all the crazy stuff that they're doing, but like, you know, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, like these are not, there, there's, no, there's no evidence that this mindfulness training is trickling down and transforming the company into some, you know, amazingly aware um, and socially responsible company. Um, mm. And in fact, I don't even know that it will even necessarily make leaders who are more um, socially aware and more um, mindful, for lack of a, a better word, you know, because it's kind of like it's, it's an individualistic thing. It's like if we're training individuals to do their individual thing, but that there's nothing that's going to like bring that out to the wider company. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that it's, well, it's working. Especially considering that scum rises to the top. I'm not going to say that all the corporate CEOs are all psychopaths or anything, but the people who rise to the top generally have certain personality traits that would make, maybe you have to be a, a bit ruthless, just to put it mildly, to actually rise to the top in certain uh, businesses. So to say that if the leaders of businesses became more mindful, it would trickle down to the employees underneath them. You're assuming a certain uh, state that these leaders have that probably they are incapable of ever attaining. So that theory in itself is just wrong. It's wishful thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that article that you were talking about, uh, Tiffany, about the intern, um, it's called mm-hmm. Why Corporations Want You to Shut Up and Meditate. This is a very salient point they have in it. It says mindfulness will offer some sort of some sort form of stress relief to a small group of employees. It's individualistic. It's therapeutic. But the whole systematic and structural apparatus of the company is completely untouched and not called into question. Think mm-hmm. of Silicon Valley companies. They're export, exporting mass distraction. It's such an irony. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. They go on to say that the externalities of these companies are designed for distraction, and yet at the same time, these small groups of employees are becoming less distracted mm-hmm. so they could focus better on their work so they could produce these technologies of mass <laughs> distraction. That's a very that's good point. True. Yeah, like cell phones. Well, if you look at- if you look at Google, I think you mentioned them hoovering up people's data <laughs> earlier, Doug. Uh, they have a, a mindfulness training called Search Inside Yourself. <laughs> so if Google would search inside itself instead of searching everybody else, the world would probably be a better place. Let's say that there's no benefit to Google. I surely Googled a lot of things in my day, but it's just so what do you call it, fake for Google to be promoting this type of thing. Um, so their search inside yourself workshop has like three steps. It trains your attention. Um, they say that attention is the basis of all higher cognitive and emotional abilities. So you have to begin with training your attention. You want your mind to be calm and clear at the same time. And this will be the foundation for emotional intelligence. Okay, that sounds good. Um, The next step is self-knowledge and self-mastery. You want to create high-resolution perception into your own cognitive and emotive 
emotive processes. You can observe your thought stream and the process of emotion with high clarity and do it objectively from a third person perspective. That sounds good too. Mm. Sounds like and a then the order. third stuff, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> People like to <laughs> think that they're, you know, aim, become supermen doing this stuff. High, yeah. It's all those buzzwords too. I mean, they yeah. can rearrange that to sell their programs or to sell their newest <laughs> it's, app. It's, or, it's I mean. lacking in meats, and you know, it's all floating. Yeah. yeah, it's not very practical tips of what to do. So the third one is creating useful mental habits. And they say, imagine whenever you meet anybody, your habitual instinctive first thought is, I wish for this person to be happy. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) The first time you meet them? Yeah, having such habits changes everything at work. Again, the focus is on work because this sincere goodwill is picked up unconsciously by others. And you create the type of trust that leads to highly productive collaborations. So those are all big words, but think of Google and all the evil things they do. Yeah. So I guess they think that if they train their employees in this kind of thing, maybe they can, you know, distract them from all the evil they perpetrated on the world and all the data mining they do and the privacy violations and the spying and the election interference (laughs) and the lies and everything that's going on there. So I think that's... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say... No, I forgot, but... Uh, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Here's here's a question, though. I'm just going to put this out here because I don't really know. Like, I have, you know, some experience with, like... I, I never called it mindfulness or anything like that, but, you know, reading like Gurdjieff and Aspensky, they talk about self-remembering and, you know, mm-hmm. I've meditated quite a bit over the course of my life and how, okay. So with this whole corporate mindfulness kind of thing, if a person actually is doing it and they're actually, you know, like meditating or they are trying to kind of be more self-aware and that sort of thing, how is that, I'm having trouble formulating the question. How is that um, kind of anesthetizing them instead of actually kind of waking them up to things? Like, I'm wondering how, you know, these corporate, they're, they're obviously doing these kind of like, they're teaching mindfulness as a way of kind of placating these people. So like almost putting their conscience to sleep or making them okay with having these kind of negative emotions or um, stress or whatever the case may be. Like, how does it do that? Is it just that, by meditating, people are calming themselves down and ignoring those kind of negative emotions and things like that? Or is there something else going on there? I don't know if this can even be answered. I think it's forcing people to be posers. Posers? <laughs> like yoga? Yes. So, no, I mean, posers, like they're, they're acting like they're, they're mindful or they're relaxed because that's what everyone's doing. It's kind of like the hive mentality in, I'm talking about in a job. You know what I mean? Like the, the company comes in, they, you do the workshop and now everyone's so mindful and everyone's just faking it mm. <laughs> to get through. The- well, maybe they're just reporting that they're mindful because that's, it's seen as desirable. You took this mm-hmm. workshop, your company paid for it. Everybody's talking about how great it is. And you're like, hey, I didn't notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to sit there and say that, are you? they're just maybe they're just going to say they're more mindful 
not necessarily because it's true, but because it's the cool thing to say. But yeah. I think like to your question, Doug, um, like I think that if you look at mindfulness on a spectrum, you have like at one end, you have someone who's very aware, not just of themselves and their own bodily processes and their emotions and how they deal with other people. But you also, those people are also aware of what is happening in the world, how things work, you know, some maybe the hidden hands and the movers and the shakers that are operating in this world. So say that this person is like the highest form of mindfulness you can get. And then you have like the navel gazers at the other end, like they're so involved in themselves and thinking about their own emotions and, you know, very self-identified. Maybe they're a bit narcissistic, you know, at the expense of, you know, paying attention to reality or getting socially involved or being involved with their families or giving to other people. They're so focused on themselves. They're kind of like blocking out reality, like the picture of the person with their head in the sand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of similar to what you see in the popularization of yoga as well. You know, when the, um, when all these people who are, are like amazing at yoga and doing amazingly bendy, twisty things can be the most narcissistic people you've ever met. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like it, it really seems like there's a, 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 like a mismatch there. You know, it kind of seems like, you know, if these, if, if these, these practices are supposed to kind of open you up and make you more conscious and kind of uh, get more in touch with uh, your emotions and um, be more empathic or, um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the word. Anyway, um, it just kind of seems that there, there is this kind of mismatch where, where it doesn't matter how good you get at yoga. If you're a dick, you're still a dick. And it's like, mm -hmm. it doesn't actually cure you of that. And it, it kind of seems like it's the same kind of thing with this mindfulness thing. It's like, you know, you can sit there for, you know, 20 minutes and just let your thoughts run. And it maybe it isn't actually going to do anything. Like if you aren't actively practicing it, uh, you know, maybe mm -hmm. that's how this kind of faking it is going on. Or maybe those people are actually still doing that exercise, but for some reason it just doesn't break through and they don't end up actually improving in their life at all. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Well, I mean, we've all heard of these gurus who run meditation retreats, and then you find out a few months later that they're, they're banging all of their students. Yeah. I mean, these people aren't evolved or special or no. just because they meditate, they haven't reached some higher state of consciousness. They just sit there with their legs crossed and do whatever it is they do. It hasn't really affected who they are as a person. So mindfulness and meditation and all of that is great. But if you're not actually working on yourself, if you're not paying attention to reality, if you're not learning and you're growing every day, then there's really no use to it. I mean, if you just want to sit there and make yourself feel better, then fine, go for it. But yeah. that is not the epitome of you know what you can be. Or being a better corporate shark. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, that's the way it's sold a lot of times, right? Oh yeah, you should do this mindfulness because it'll give you a competitive edge or you know, it'll make you sleep better so that you're, you're, yeah, better at work, better at, you know, stealing people's money. Mm -hmm. Well, there's all this whole uh, idea that you're free to choose whether or not to be stressed out. Mm -hmm. and, 
in reality, there are real events or situations or people that can cause stress in you objectively. So it's not necessarily that it's you that needs to change. I mean, who is that that said that uh, it's not a sign of a healthy person to be well adjusted to a sick society? That was Krishnamurti. Yeah. 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 Well, kind of back to what I was saying about the the posers and uh, being a yoga teacher and working in the industry. I know exactly what you're talking about, Doug. And I think, you know, and I'm not hating on all people that try the whole fake it till you make it approach to things, Mm. but it's really saturated in that environment, like to tune out the negative, don't focus on that. And um, people can just be nasty. I mean, I have some of the nastiest people I've met have been at, you know, quote unquote yoga retreats where <laughs> it's just really um, very actually revealing to see how this whole Mick mindfulness movement can sell this idea and people think that they're practicing it, but it almost just crystallizes into more of a shit show, excuse mm. my language, but uh, just, you know what I mean? Like, so as we've been saying throughout this show already, like those negative emotions, those things, people are stressed, all the different things that you deal with in your daily life. That's normal. If you're a normal human being, if you have bad days at work and you're angry and you're frustrated, especially in these corporate environments, because mm. it's, you know, this whole pyramid structure top down. And especially if you have petty tyrants that you work with. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this mindfulness is just the anesthetizing of that for, oh, just get along to go along, you know. Yeah. And yeah, then at, know. The, at the end of the day, you're just completely exhausted mentally where your mind just checks out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no amount of like these icebreakers or, you know, fall into your partner's arm or turn to your partner and gather in this small group and do role play or do these three minute breathing exercises. Like all this superficial crap is not going to change the fact that you work in a place that's just consuming your soul. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually going to bring up that that same kind of idea because in that in that uh, article um, that why corporations want you to shove and meditate, which was an interview with Ron Purser who wrote the the book uh, McMindfulness, he was talking about the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, which is Google's kind of mindfulness program, and what he said was it was a, an amalgam of childish icebreakers, turn to your partner exercises, three-minute breathing meditations, and a hodgepodge of superficial materials on emotional intelligence as a pathway to career success, along with the usual neurobabble that meditation changes your brain. So, I mean, maybe that answers my question right there, like my question a few minutes back, that, Hmm. um, you know, why is it that they're doing these mindfulness things and it's not, um, clearly it's not making for more mindful companies maybe it is because it is it isn't mindfulness it's a like a bastardization of mindfulness or like the the cheap uh two minute preview of mindfulness or something like that well it gives a a veneer to the company Mm. that they actually care about you it's like certain companies like they'll have you know if you buy x number or x amount of products we'll donate x amount of dollars to this charity 
It's like, why don't you just donate it to the charity? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we're actually donating to the charity. You're just putting your name on it. The money is coming from us. (laughs) (laughs) Or why don't you just charge me less and I'll put put that money that would have gone to that charity to a a charity of my choosing. Yeah, so they're really just trying to make themselves look better. It's not that they actually care about you and your emotional well-being. Mm. It's just a way to slap a band-aid on. That's why I hate meetings at work. Stop having meetings. People just get in there and they vent and they feel like, oh, maybe something's going to change and nothing ever changes. It's <laughs> always the same. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you say that, Tiffany, because whenever we have those types of things at work, I'm automatically so suspect. Like, oh, God, what are they going to do now? They're going to start. They're going to give you a pay cut or they're going to lay you off or they're going to give you 10 times more work. Like it's it's like you're you're suspicious of oh, what's what's going to happen. What's what's going next? Why are they buttering you? up? <laughs> yeah. And I can only speak for myself with this, but I'm guessing that maybe this was the same with you guys like. Doug, you said you've done a lot of meditation, Erica, you have. I've done a fair amount of med- meditation in my life. I mean, not as, you know, since I was a child, but just like in no. the last 10 years or so. Right. But, you know, before that, I was, you know, kind of stressed out. I, I, you know, still went about my job, went to school, whatever, you know, I needed to, did what I had to do, but there was just this deep sense of malaise, like something is wrong with the world. Why are things the way they are? Why do people act this way? Why does the world function the way that it does? Why do things never seem to get better? Why is there so much suffering and strife and, you know, not just in the world, but I feel pretty miserable and I'm just freaking tired of it. So... (laughs) After a while, you, you're searching for this stuff. You know, I probably could have meditated at that time. Maybe I would have felt better. But I don't think that meditation by itself would have made me feel better in the long run. Right. I think that the, that actually made me feel better was actually picking up book, a book or several books and you know, learning about history, learning about the world, learning about religion, psychology, and, you know, certain things that we thought was true, but are actually not true. That's really what made me feel better. I mean, not that it actually changed anything, but having that knowledge goes a long way in helping you cope with how the world is, because at least you have some clue as to why things are the way they are, versus just sitting there and gazing at your navel. Yeah. Well, and it makes you realize that other people experience the same thing. So you're not alone in this, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember in the beginning stages of doing, you know, workshops for my yoga training or whatnot, it was like the complete lack of reality focus was concerning to me. Like, mm-hmm. if you just do this, this, and this, everything will be great. And it's like, wait, that that's there's that that doesn't ring true for me like i see so much going on in the world chaos and and you know there's got to be a balance somewhere but how do you walk between order and chaos you know mm-hmm. what i mean without losing your mind in the process <laughs> yeah but maybe it's just that meditation is actually a tool in the toolbox but it's not everything and maybe it's right. that you need to kind of um I mean, it certainly is like, you know, I, I will say that I think it's beneficial, even though there's yes. a lot of, um, you know, 
obviously it's being overhyped. Like obviously a lot of the studies that are coming out um, are not very good studies. And despite the fact that they grab headlines and it's like, yes, well, meditation, you know, for five minutes a day for eight days, uh, change people's brains. And it's like, well, those aren't very well designed studies. Um, they're really just grabbing headlines. Um, but n despite all that, from my own personal experience, I would say that meditation and mindfulness definitely does have a beneficial effect. It is something that I've noticed in my life that it isn't, it isn't a placebo. There is something actually going on here. But again, if you're a meditating, um, you know, contract airhead. killer <laughs> or airhead, sure. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I was going to say, like, it's not going to have a heck of a lot of uh, effect on you. So I think that you really need to look at it as one of the tools within the toolbox. Mm -hmm. It is, I, I think, a good way of learning about yourself, um, seeing your emotions, like allowing for a separation from you, from your emotional side and your thoughts mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, and to be able to kind of more objectively look at things. Um but on its own, I don't think that that's, you know, going to transform people. You know, maybe some people it will be the kind of the, the one thing that they needed. But I think that in general, like, um, well, like you were saying, Tiff, about like, you know, reading books, figuring things out, you know, really kind of digging in and, and finding out what, what's going on in our reality. It's like it's another level of knowledge. Maybe it's like mm -hmm. the, that there's the personal knowledge, like the, the personal um, subjective what's going on with you and then there's the objective what's actually going on out in the world right so it only fits into one corner of that mm -hmm. yeah well like you two i've experienced a lot of benefits from it and just even doing the research for this show you know you just see the word mindfulness and you're like oh my gosh yeah, what I roll. and um <laughs> and really um the the discipline of meditation like you know coming back to it even though it's you've had you know you had a bad day or it's not working or you can't quiet your mind like not necessarily throwing the baby out with the bathwater but being open to the possibility as you said Doug that this is one of many tools that can help you mm. and um, one thing I will say for me when I started practicing it and I read John Kabat-Zinn's work, you know, in the nineties and he's kind of what they call the father of Western mindfulness. But uh, for me, more than anything, the thing I got out of it is, um, and we used to teach this in the classroom to seven-year-olds, just because a thought falls in your mind doesn't mean it needs to spill out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is a really good kind of, premise to build on like we have all these thoughts all the time and they're going and a lot of times people have no filter and it just spills out and that can cause stress for you and others around you but to be aware of what's going on in your mind and how to kind of hold back before you just bleh, you know mm -hmm. what I mean mm -hmm. I don't know that's that's kind of my testimonial about about these practices that has been helpful, especially when you're dealing with children, because mm -hmm. when you, once that slips out of your mouth, you can never take that back. So, mm -hmm. you know, and I think there's, you know, it, again, back to the corporate thing, you know, it's one of those things like you're working with different people all the time. And if people just spout off about anything, it, it can, it can cause discord. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
Well, even if you're not spouting off to people, I mean, a good thing that I've noticed personally about meditation is to be able to pay attention to your thoughts and what you're thinking and not judge them. Because all of us think like crazy things sometimes. Like every feeling that you have isn't necessarily a true reflection of what's going on with yourself or going on with the world. So just because you think or you feel a certain way about something at some point during the day or during your life doesn't mean that it is something that you need to act upon. So just observing your thoughts and your feelings just thinking about them, maybe you can say, oh, where did that come from? Or why did I think that? Or you kind of explore those kind of things and not just, you know, shut the door on that. Say, oh, no, you can never think about things like that. You know, that's yeah. just a bad thing to do. But just paying attention to your thoughts and feelings, never letting a thought or feeling pass through your brain. I don't even know how to describe that. Like, if you, <laughs> you know how you have like the, the marquees where... You know, there's a message like uh, so-and-so club will be meeting tonight at nine or like the, the, the messages that are flashing across the bottom of the screen of a newscast. Mm-hmm. Like if you picture your thoughts that way, I mean, you have to pay attention to that. Don't let any thought go by without you, you noticing it. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I got out of meditation is like sometimes you Oh, I have meditated more times than others. Sometimes you, I get into it like really thick and do it kind of a lot. And other times it's more sporadic. But when I've gotten into it a lot, I notice that I am a lot more loving, a lot less judgmental towards people, a lot more accepting. So, I mean, I don't have to read a study to know that I felt that way, but to actually read a study that kind of, you know, uh, backs up what actually was my personal experience, that's kind of a good thing. But mm-hmm. those are just a couple of things that I notice by meditating or being mindful. I think another maybe even better word is just awareness, having awareness mm-hmm. about, like you were saying, yourself and your actions and your your place in your local environment at any given time and how you react to things you know it's like we've talked in the past shows about how distracted that we all get and how you you know you're driving somewhere and you've passed your exit and you're just not aware of what you're doing i mean part of that could be just exhaustion or the mind constantly overworking so you just kind of tune out Hmm. but i really think you know, building awareness instead of, again, back to that mindfulness word is, uh, and I, I do, it's like a muscle or any other thing. It takes um, consistency and, and being aware when you're unaware, mm-hmm. you know, and, oh, I was just really unaware and <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's something like, it seems like from our reading this McMindfulness thing, it's like, oh, this is just this little package. We're going to give it to you. It's going to change your life. You're never (laughs) going to feel stressed again. And I feel like that's really uh, dishonest in a lot of ways. Very dishonest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an industry that, well, there's always an industry for somebody. And I think that this (laughs) mindfulness I think it's a way that they're kind of, I don't want to use the word praying, but 
capitalizing off of the, I call them the worried well or the mildly stressed. I mean, these aren't the people who have like any hardcore psychiatric illnesses, but people who, you know, make some, they want to make some, you know, improvements in their lives. They notice that they get a little anxious, a little worked up sometimes, and they just want to find a way to relax. And people come along with these little uh, band-aids or distraction from them. And really, if they would pay more attention or be more mindful of what is going on in their lives and their homes, you know, make some tweaks that need to be done. You know, you can't like improve anything in your life without actually doing some actual work to improve it. Yeah. You can't just sit there and breathe your problems away. You're going to actually have to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get to work and do something about it. Yeah. So, yeah. And there are some people who where uh, mindfulness and meditative practices are probably not the best idea because they've been traumatized so badly. Like there's some people like uh, people with bipolar disorder shouldn't do certain deep breathing exercises because it can you know, perhaps prompt like some kind of manic phase or can bring up some past buried pre-verbal traumas that can actually make things worse for those people. Mm-hmm. So meditation and mindfulness is not for everybody is another thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of tricky to figure out who would be the people that can't, you know, who wouldn't mm-hmm. benefit from it. Like, it seems like it's kind of blind, you know, when you're going into it um, because I've yeah. heard stories and, you know, they're stories. So I don't know how true they are, but people going kind of away on meditation retreats and coming back like with serious psychological issues. Um, And they didn't have them before. Now, whether they were already, they were predisposed to them in some way and that actually something about the meditation kind of triggered it and off they go. Um, I don't know. Um, And Mm -hmm. and I think it's, I think it's difficult to, to say. I mean, certainly I don't think that those stories, those stories are common. I think that most people probably are either going to benefit from meditation or mindfulness um, or it's going to be nothing. You know, it's it's not going to do anything. Um, In most cases, I don't think it's actually dangerous. But nonetheless, there seems to be that one in a million that something Uh crazy happens to. Yeah. Well, and that was some of the reading that we did. One of the articles was the shadow side of the mindfulness craze. And um, they talked about how that suppressing of necessary negative emotions can be very detrimental. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember um, 20 years ago when my mother died, my mother's husband went on a Vispasana retreat like two days later, which is where you don't talk for 10 days straight. And it was Mm -hmm. like, great. So this is how we're dealing with this really tragic event. You're just going to go off and meditate and not talk for 10 days. Meanwhile, everything chaotic around. And, and then, um, you know, he came back and, Oh, I'm all better. It's all fine. Well, let's just move on. You know what I mean? So it was like, again, my suspicions were like, well, well, how did that help? I mean, I get that, you know, you needed time away and whatnot, but that's not really dealing with the core issue of this trauma that we just experienced. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's a good example of how people can use this sort of as an escape rather than to actually deal with anything, you know, Mm -hmm. going on a 10 day Vipassana retreat instead of dealing with the stuff that's going on. 
Um, it's mm -hmm. running away, basically. It's escaping. It's escaping into this meditative kind of state. It's navel-gazing, essentially, which I don't yeah. think was what Pretty Vipassana was supposed to be about. Um, <laughs> just a guess. No, but. I I agree, but it's it seems to be that a lot of the critiques of mindfulness are from people that say that they've lost that the deeper Buddhist precepts and these practices, right. they've Westernized it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, leave out the whole, all the suffering stuff and just package it nicely that somebody can do in 10 or 15 minutes. And then they feel that they've done something to better themselves. And then they move on instead of kind of getting into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. Well, actually, Ron Purser, that guy um, who wrote the McMindfulness book, uh, he wrote an article for The Guardian called The Mindfulness, Conspir uh, yeah, Mindfulness Conspiracy. Um, and he says, you know, if the problem is that the product they're selling and how it's been packaged. He said, mindfulness is nothing more than a basic concentration training. Although derived from Buddhism, it's been stripped of the teaching on ethics that accompanied it as well as the, uh, the liberating aim of dissolving attachment to a false sense of self while enacting compassion for all other beings. What remains is a tool of self-discipline disguised as self-help. Mm -hmm. um, and it says, instead of setting practitioners free, it helps them adjust to a very, the very conditions that cause their problems. A truly revolutionary movement would seek to overturn this dysfunctional system, but mindfulness only serves to reinforce its destructive logic. And that's just, yeah, the same kind of idea. It's like, rather than actually dealing with the problem, it's like, no, just be mindful. Just be mindful about it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a big band-aid, but I think we can recap and say that, no, we don't think that mindfulness or meditation is complete hooey. There's a lot of benefit to be gained from it, but not at the expense of uh, avoiding negativity and avoiding reality. Yeah, it's not an escape. Like, it's not yeah. a way of, it's not even a way of dealing with your problems, really. It's yeah. a way of kind of being more in your life. You still have mm -hmm. to do the same stuff. I mean, it's the same thing like that, that old, uh, I think it was a Zen saying where they're like, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. It's like you still mm -hmm. have to do the day-to-day -day stuff, the slogging through of whatever it is that you have to do on a daily basis, dealing with terrible people, dealing with your job, making money, paying the bills, all that kind of stuff. It's not like these, these kinds of like meditating or being mindful is going to get rid of any of that kind of stuff or make it suddenly more easy or something. It's just it, it, isn't, it isn't a replacement for your life. Mm -hmm. You still have to live. Right. You still have to do what is necessary for your life. So... And it's not a replacement for actually doing actual work to improve your life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so do we have anything else to say or should we end on that note? Uh, I think I'm tapped. Yeah. I'm very mindful that I'm tapped right now. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be mindful of that. <laughs> I think I'm going to engage in some mindfulness, mindlessness. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, audience, <laughs> that is our show for this 
we'll be back with another show soon. If you like the show, please hit the like and subscribe. You can comment as well if you so choose. And we will see you next time. Have a great mindful day. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.